Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of the IAIB Spotlight. I'm your host Andrew Zarin and today we have a very special guest. I say that every week. You know what guys? This is really special because I actually have someone in studio with me. It's a rare occasion that somebody comes to the outskirts of Queens, New York. I'm far away in the country. It is very difficult for people from Manhattan to come over here. We have Chris Tobin on. How you doing, Chris? <laughs> I'm doing well, Andrew. Yes, it's not that far. You haven't left. You were here last night. and Yes, I know. I was slumped over the chair in the, the seat in the car after drinking uh, last night. <laughs> Our conversations got so heated that the, uh, the alcohol just didn't get burned off. Uh, Chris is here with me. Uh, <laughs> if you watch GFQ regularly, if you watch the Twit Network, uh, Chris is part of the team behind This Week in Radio Talk, hosted by Kirk Harnack. You've been doing it for three years now? The show? Three, coming up on four, yes, yes. 192 episodes in. Yes, yes. Um, but Chris is not just a internet broadcasting personality. Chris has a very long history in traditional radio, mm-hmm. in broadcasting and engineering. And we're going to be talking a little bit about his career today. But we also want to talk about uh, setting up a recording studio, a broadcasting studio at home. Because if any, I'm assuming everybody watching this has their at-home podcasting studio, internet broadcasting studio. And we want to talk about some of the do's and don'ts. We want to talk about, you know, doing it the right way and not spending as much money as you guys think. You don't have to spend an astronomical amount on building your studio out. And I have a list of questions that were, that were submitted on the forum over the last couple of weeks about, you know, building out the studio and acoustically treating everything and proper microphone techniques. So we're going to be talking about that also. But before we do, I want to go into your career in radio. How did you get into radio? Now, we've had this discussion many times, but I'm going to pretend this is the first time I'm asking you this. Uh, how did you get into it? Well, my start into radio get, began, I guess, as in many cases with folks in the, with careers. And in my youth, as a small, small tot, I enjoyed the magic of the box on my uh, the kitchen table at the house, trying to figure out how somebody can talk to me through this this thing that sits on the kitchen table with one wire stuck into it, you know, the power cord, and uh, just en- entertained by the the music, the disc jockeys, what they said, and what little talk on the radio there was. It was usually something of interest. So it now, just now you grew up me. here in New York. So who did you listen to? Uh, yes, growing up here in the New York City area was uh, well on the AM dial. You had uh, the music stations like uh, WABC. So you had Dan Ingram, Ron Lundy. And the early, my very early, early youth, you had the good guys that just phased out just as I was becoming old enough to understand what was going on the radio. But WABC was the uh, perennial uh, successor. So you had uh, Dan Ingram, Ron Lundy, Herb Oscar Anderson, uh, all those guys. And that was just entertainment. It was music, entertainment. And then from that, you had talk shows like John Gambling. I grew up listening to John Gambling. John Gambling, was it the fourth now? Not the guy that you're hearing on WRR today, but his grandfather. <laughs> Wow. Well, that's the, that's the dynasty. The gambling dynasty yeah. uh, started, actually, that's, that's the best part of it. John Gambling, we'll just say senior, the, the guy who started it, was actually the engineer of the radio station when it was owned by Bambergers. Back in the early days of radio, uh, businesses owned radio stations as an advertising tool. That's how they got the word out. Yeah. So WOR was a, uh, I think it was Bambergers in uh, Newark, New Jersey, and uh, the engineer of the station was John Gambling. The morning show host who did this fitness program, uh, I think it was either sick, something happened, and he couldn't uh, appear. So John Gambling stepped in and took on the show. It was a great hit. Unbelievable what happened, and then the rest is history. Yeah. I mean, literally. Yeah. Engineer the station just happened to have the right talent to communicate to the audience. 
and off is he that, went. Is that something that happens often? I don't think no, so. No, it doesn't happen yeah. often at all. But you know, that's just that's the history of that particular uh, dynasty, and uh, it's a it's also a testament to what radio can do when you have the right, I'll, I'll say, uh, chemistry elements involved. And that's part of what fascinated me when I did the research and learned more about all the, the voices behind the radio box. And I started saying, well, this is pretty cool. And I also dabbled in electronics. I was notorious for taking things apart. Uh, you know, as we all are as tinkerers or anybody does anything, whether you're you know, a chemist or a mechanical engineer or electrical, in the early days you learn. Yeah. And, that's, and that's what it's all about. And you're always learning. And one of the things I have to say, in my youth, uh, between my parents, friends, schooling, neighborhood uh, at, I guess neighborhood environment, we're always encouraged to keep learning or or asking questions. Always ask why. Now, when when in the early days when you were interested in radio and, and when you were considering going into radio, did you want to go on as a on air personality or did you want to you know tinker around in the back? Like, yes, both, both. And here's why: because one, it fascinated me that this person behind a microphone can reach so many other people and touch them in such a way. It's like wow. I have no idea who this stranger is, but I, I, I think he relates to what we're talking about. Yeah. But at the same time, because of my tinkering background or curiosity, I also wanted to be the person making it possible to do that. And in early high school, we had a high school radio station. It was Carrier Current, which was a transmitter that was connected to the power lines of the school, and you could use an AM radio to receive the signal. That's what Carrier Current is. The AM carrier is on the current wires of the, the building, yeah. power lines. This That technology is still used today in many places. It's very, very efficient. So, Amusement parks do that. Oh, yeah, amusement yeah. parks, uh, yeah. hotels. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of places. And So working with those students, the faculty on that, understanding it better, because of my knowledge or learning, I should say, of electronics, I was one of the kids in the class that sort of knew more than the others because I did both. I understood some of the radio side of it, you know, the, yeah. the talent, and then I understood the electronics. And I said, "Hey, early on, how did you understand the the electronics? Is it because you you just tore things apart and you put it back yes. together, or did you start studying it?" Well, yes to both. It's yes to both questions. Um, first one is taking things apart to figure out what was what. So, yes, did I get electric shots? Absolutely. Did I burn my fingers? Absolutely. Did I blow things up and not make them, you know, get them back together? Absolutely. But at the same time, the, my inquisitiveness also uh, forced me to read. So I, I, you know, if anybody remembers, and I'll go back in time, Funk and Wagnall Encyclopedia, everybody knows Britannica, but there was another one called yeah. Funk and Wagnall, was for those folks who couldn't afford the Britannica series. Sure. But it was just as informative. Yeah. Just as, between reading that, popular mechanics, popular science, uh, uh, early ham radio magazines that I had access to, and reading all these things and figuring it out, I was like, oh, so... I will say self-taught. Everything yeah. that I'm doing has been self-taught. Every and it's really funny you bring that up. Uh, I I have a relative that's really into pretty much everything that we talk about here on mm -hmm. the show, and uh, he watches Twerk. And I I asked him this. We were sitting down, and I asked him, "How did you get into this?" He goes, "Well, I taught myself." I go, "How did you do?" It? He goes, "When I was young, I would read Popular Mechanics and Popular Science." Yeah. And I asked my father too. My father is uh, very handy and mechanic, and he knows electronics. Um. And I asked him too, and he goes, "Popular mechanics and popular science." That that that's what got me into it. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to hear that because now, really, those two magazines, popular mechanics, still a little bit, but popular yeah. science is yeah. not really what it was. Well, they have to bear in mind the reason that that's the case is because nowadays in our society, it's it's no longer your, it's a do-it-yourself society where you build or create physical, you know, putting things together to make it work. Now you just buy it. 
Yeah. And you plug it in, and now and you if say, it breaks, what do you do? You, you buy, dump, you buy dump a new it. One. Yeah, it's disposable. But people think creating something is by taking this microphone, the laptop in front of me, and a mixing console or a mis- mixing desk, plugging the wires together, and now I've created something. Yeah. Well, yeah, you've created something, but really, you didn't create in the world of a, what a tinkerer would think of. Sure. You, know, you want to create something, I take the metal, I take a wire magnet, and I wrap, wrap it around and, and make a microphone. That's creating something. That's when you're a kid, when you're inquisitive, that's what, that's what popular science, popular mechanics, even the scientific American magazines, National Geographic, all these I've read. Do you think we've lost that, that, that drive to kind of tinker yes. around and build it and fix it because yes. everything is now disposable technology? Yes. Uh, I think a lot of it's lost because our society is moving so fast. Parents are not making the time to push the kids to learn. I remember as a kid, my grandfather was a jeweler, and mm-hmm. he used to make watches. And he taught me how to make a watch. If I had to, I could probably, you know, I would have to obviously read up on it again because yeah. I forgot. But I was probably 10 years old and I used yeah. to make watches with him. And and I always asked him, why did you make the watches? And he would say, because we couldn't afford it. So I would buy, you know, I would get the scrap parts and when someone's watch would break and I would take them and I put it together and I'd yeah. make a watch. Uh, he also used to make little radios. As I remember as a kid, he used to make them. And it's it's a different mentality because it wasn't as accessible. I mean, right. in the 1930s, if you were making, if you you couldn't, uh, who's buying a radio? But you can make one. You can make a short, you know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So you you started tinkering around at a young age, and you got into it in high school. How do you make this a job? What was your first gig in radio? First gig in radio was actually a friend of mine was already working at a radio station. They needed somebody in the engineering department to just do stuff part time, and he basically called me up. He said, "Hey, um, you know, are you interested?" But did you have experience in? I had about or? I had about two years of college radio experience, and then the remaining years of my youth with uh, learning and self taught. What type of experience was it on air? Or was it you know? It was both engineering. It was both, and and here's the other reason why I wanted to learn the on air. A friend, of, I when I was a kid, one of the part time jobs I had was in a shoe store, shoemaker. Okay, a cobbler store. <laughs> There's no such thing anymore like <laughs> no, that. Yeah. Unless you go to Italy, you'll see, see cobblers, but. It was actually a shoe store where you'd go in, you'd drop off your shoes, and in the back there were the, the polishing machines, the leather stitching machines, and I would fix shoes, literally yeah. reheal them, resole them, or uh, size them. And I'll never forget the guy. I think there's one guy in New York left that does that. There's probably, yeah, yeah. yeah. And this guy, uh, I'll never forget, looked at me and said, kid, you seem to get it, that's good, but remember this, if you don't understand what the customer expects out of that shoe, you'll never fix it right. Interesting. And I yeah. looked at him like, what do you mean? And yeah. he gave me examples. And we had this one customer, I'll never forget this woman, you know, 400 pounds. I don't, I'm not trying to be derogatory, but there was a reason I have to say this. Size three shoe. Yeah, the shoe, because the strangest thing, I, I could never figure it out, but he explained to me just this the way it works. You could be very large on top, but your feet can actually be small because that's your physique. Yeah. You know, when you're overweight, it's not because your, your body's decided to do with something. You did something to it. But when your feet grow, you get a certain size, that's it. So her feet were smaller than her body, so the weight on the shoes, the heels would always break. They'd splinter. And I would always ask him, I said, what is, why is this splintering? He'd try to tell me without being mean. Yeah. Yeah, look, that's the fat lady that, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he said, but understand that because of what she wants and how she's using the shoes, here's what you need to understand how to fix it. So I took that thinking and through my part-time jobs, you know, at all the different places, and then finally at a radio station, the first radio job, a college radio station, it wasn't a job, I was volunteer, but I learned the on-air. So I actually worked with the jocks, the student jocks, 
and uh, understood work, sat behind the console, worked the microphone, did all that stuff, and realized that the setup really is is horrible. Yeah. Now, one of these guys are complaining because they have to do this to press a button, they have to do this to get a turntable, or you know, at the time, you know, cassette machines were being used. So I took that experience, understanding, first commercial job part-time, met with the engineer of the station. He says, okay, what do you have for experience? And I flat out told him, I said, well... I uh, made shoes. I said, I said, well, I'll tell you, I have two years working at a college radio station. I did some tinkering. I'm a ham operator, you know. Um, that's about it. So you could either shoot me out the office now, or we can sit and discuss how I can maybe learn something from you. He just sat there. He sits back, goes... Well, you know, that's the most honest thing I've ever heard anybody say. Tell you yeah. what, I'll give you the job. You got it for six months. If you make it work in six months, that's great. We'll, we'll make you full time. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, I like that. He goes, that, that's uh, refreshing. Yeah. He goes, you're absolutely right. You have no idea what you're getting into, but I'm willing to give you a chance. I'm like, where was this? What, this what, was up in Connecticut. Up in Connecticut. Up in Connecticut, a very, uh, very nice station. Um, I learned a lot at, with this guy. He was, you know, he was looking to retire. He's looking to get out. He had about another five years left before he pull the plug and say, hey, you know, I'm done. So he was just looking for somebody to maybe come in and, you know, take over the reins because that back in the day, that's what you did. Yeah. Nowadays, you know, nobody even thinks to do that. And as a result, I learned a lot. I made friends with the jocks, the morning show host. My buddy was the midday host. Did you have people that were able to help you out? Or? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, when I was starting to show them, I understood what they did. They were willing to impart on me their knowledge. So yeah. it became a two-way street once they realized, hey, this kid's serious. He gets it. Or he's at least... When I tell him to him, he digests it, then it regurgitates knowledge. I was like, yeah, that's what I've been doing. And uh, ever since then, that's what I've done. I always tell that when I talk to folks at, at universities for you know career day kind of stuff or a mass to come into a college radio station to talk about things, I always tell them, do not specialize just in the one thing you're doing. You, know, you could be an IT guy and be the best Novell certified uh, engineer if they still have them, but you know, Cisco, C, was it CCNE or CCNA, but if you don't know how that office worker is using those computers on that network, you will be the most frustrated individual because they will be so annoyed. They're going to tell their boss, I can't get my job done. If I can't get my job done, the boss looks bad. If the boss looks bad, yeah. his boss looks bad. And before you know it, the owner of the company is calling you up going, what the hell are you doing to my office people? Yeah. Now, see how that, uh, see yeah. how that goes full, full circle? circle? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I learned way back. Unfortunately, most people don't get to learn that anymore. But. Yeah, because you got you got the experience of both sides, really. Yeah, but if you learn both sides, and in broadcasting, it's crucial because in broadcasting, unlike an office, it's about communicating one-on-one. -on -one. No matter what it is, it's always one-on-one. -on -one. Were you still at this point not sure if you wanted to be you know, on the engineering side and the production side or, or on air, or had you made your decision where this is what I want to do, I really like... Being an engineer. The engineering side, I decided, was more fun because I can get to do more. Because I noticed that if I'm in front of the microphone, it's somewhat limited because you're pretty much being told by others how it's going to go. Because, you know, that's programming. The idea is to meet something. Also, at this point, when early on in your career, was the, the jocks mentality still, I show up, I do my show, I get my paycheck, and I leave? Or was that starting to change? That's always been in the psyche of... of most people in jobs, but in, the, in radio business, the jocks, two types of jocks. You had the ones that were so talented that it was just second nature for them to do what they did. So you would perceive it as they come in, they do their job, get paid, and walk away. The reality is they actually were working very hard out of your view. You never saw it. Yeah. Then there were those who were so passionate about it, they would work for free because that's just their thing. So there was always that. But I, it wasn't in a negative way, but today yeah. 
I think today, if you see people doing that, it's probably more negative than it was, say, 20 years ago. That was the best advice somebody gave me. Leslie Gold told me, and she said, if I can give you one piece of it, the radio check. um, (laughs) One of the nicest people to me inside of radio, uh, she told me, I'm going to give you one advice. If you go on the radio, that's great. You don't have to, though, to make a career. But always remember that 1984 mentality of showing up, doing your show, putting your hand out and getting a paycheck is gone. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do whatever you can to learn the production, learn the editing, learn the engineering, understand the technology behind it, and you'll always be important and somebody will always hire you. Well, to to that point, I will tell you, in my college days, I worked with several very many talented students who went on to work in radio. Yeah. Uh, some of them are working in the Philadelphia market. Some have worked here in the New York City market um, and elsewhere. But one of them, a friend of mine, and I still we cross paths from time to time. It's like you know, like two little comets. We circle around every so often. <laughs> we meet yeah. somewhere. And I'll never forget, I taught him how to edit tape, okay, on a reel-to-reel reel machine. Reel-to-reel, cutting the tape. Cutting the tape to edit butt slices, slant slice, the whole bit. And he said, wow, this is cool. Goes, I said, look, you're going to have to understand how to do this because wherever you go to get a job, you're going to wind up doing production, your commercials, you're going to do everything yourself. His first commercial job after leaving the radio station was in uh, Westerly, Rhode Island uh, for the radio station. There was an FM station. And sure enough, the uh, PD, the program director, said, well, you got the gig. We're going to put you on uh, you know, afternoons. However, you need to know how to uh, splice tape, record, and produce your own commercials because that's how it does. We don't have a production director. Okay. Because of that, the two of us learning from each other, he went on to do that and then went on to do other things. And then later went on to inter- be interviewed by radio station program directors. You may have heard the name Scott Shannon. Sure. You may have heard years later he became the, 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 the voice in, of many things. He's got his own business, does very well for himself. He's uh, on, I think it's excellent. He's on Sirius. He's actually programming Sirius channels. The name is Kid Kelly. Okay. Yeah, he was on uh, Z100 for years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He is one of four people that I went to school with that we all wound up doing very well in New York, and the other three did work at Z100 as well. But all of us, the one thing we all had in common was the ability to learn from each other. So even though they were in front of the microphone, they learned from me how to handle behind the mic. They understood my, the processing. They understood how to work yeah. it, how to work the console, how to do this and that. And I learned from them what makes the best disc jockey Comfortable. And Scott Shannon has had a humongous career at PLJ. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, so just, you you at this point you took you you took to the back end of this. You took to the engineering side, mm-hmm. and uh, to many people, you know that's that's a forgotten one. That's the basis, <laughs> in my opinion. You know, people always go for the the lead guitarist and the singer, but the basis is very important, and I and that's what I consider a lot of these engineers because you need them, and these are names that you really don't here on the air except mm-hmm. with howard i mean howard would always yell about the engineers and stuff yeah. but i mean it's rare to under to meet these people on the air on the person on the radio side right uh, now when do you go to i know you worked for cbs for a long time mm-hmm. um how does that happen and what was that experience like because now you're going from small you know small station connecticut mm-hmm. what was your next move into bigger market okay from from connecticut i uh, moved to another market uh, job openings came up. I applied. I worked in Connecticut and learned everything I could. I worked for two different companies there. We were very successful. The stations were top in their uh, market. We were top station, top building, everything. And then opportunities pop up, you know, job openings. And I would apply, and they'd say, well, what can you do? And I would explain to them, I have the ability to do this, this, and this. But I would speak to the program director or the chief engineer, or in many cases back then, it was always the general manager. 
you never talk to the engineer or the programming people until after the GM sort of said, you know what, I think this guy can make it. Now pass him on to the next two guys. If you go agree, we'll hire. Yeah. Talking to the GMs and trying to speak their language, as we mentioned on Twert, um, was very difficult to learn in the beginning. But once I got the knack, it was just a question of going in, telling him, here's what I can do, here's what it's about. No, no BS. And if you like it, it's great. If you don't, so be it. I never went in with the attitude of, oh my God, I hope they give me the job because I'm desperate. I went in with the attitude of, you know what? If you don't like me, so be it. Yeah. I, I, I'm not in any hurry. And that really does work in your favor. And that's what I did. And then from there, another, I went to a medium market station, uh, Long Island, which is market 14 at the time. And then uh, one day, a friend of mine who was working at a very prominent uh, broadcast company in New York City called me up and said, hey, and he worked at a local radio station too in New York and moved up to the network. He called me up and said, hey, we're looking for a guy. Uh, I think you might be the one. I said, really? He goes, yeah, yeah. Can you come in and talk? I was like, all right, sure. No problem. I'll go in. I said, where are you these days? He goes, yeah, uh, I just took a new job as general manager for the ABC radio networks. Wow. I'm like, wait a minute. I thought you were working at that other station called WNEWFM, part of the Infinity Broadcast Metro yeah. Media, uh, sorry, Group W uh, folks. Yeah, no, I moved. I said, oh, okay. I hope I'm your second call. He goes, yes. No, the first call was to my wife. I said, good. Uh, so I said, yeah, sure, I'll come over. So I go in. I meet with the senior VP of engineering. And he looks at me. And I knew who he was because I read his articles in the trade magazines. You know, I worked at several radio stations that were ABC yeah. News affiliates. So I was quite aware of the facility and what they were about. I walk in. He sits me down. He says, okay, so uh, why do you think you can do the job? I said, well, uh, my job currently as chief engineer of radio station is dying. This was back in 19... 89, 88. I said, chief engineers are dime a dozen, and you can swing a dead cat in Times Square and get somebody to help you out. I said, but what I'm bringing to the table for you is my knowledge of engineering, broadcast traffic information, programming of that sort. And he's like, really? I said, well, yeah. I said, in order for me to be a good engineer and work with you guys, I got to know how they do it. I got to walk a mile in their shoes. Yeah. The job position at ABC that they were offering me was for the data systems manager. Had nothing to do with engineering per se, no transmitters, no studios. The data systems manager's job was the responsibility to make sure all 7,500 radio affiliates of the ABC Radio News Network receive their traffic orders, meaning commercial schedules, uh, news updates from the newsroom, of the network newsroom, and many other things. And I'm sitting there going, and you're talking to me? Yeah. Uh, he goes, well, do you know anything about uh, Unix? I said, Unix, yes, I know enough to be dangerous. I could probably crash the system or maybe you know hack into something and create trouble for you know for a government agency he goes oh that's being honest i said yeah he goes but i said i can tell you this i know the difference between a pd program director or sales manager someone an affiliate sales calling up and says we have a schedule change we got to get this out to the affiliates before the commercials air tomorrow morning what do you you know do what you have to make it happen yeah i understand the, the reality of that you probably hired an it guy to currently run the department has no clue leaves at five o'clock and that's it he looks at me and goes Okay, so has anyone told you what we've been doing here? I said, no. How do you know this? I said, because I work at a radio station that currently does that now yeah. on a smaller scale. So I'm assuming that's why I got the call. He just looked at me. He's like, okay, uh, we'll get back to you. I'm sitting there going, there you go. I blew that chance of yeah. working in New York right now. I was like, yeah. There goes back my, to Long Island. There goes my attitude again. Screw that. I go back. Two, three weeks later, I get a call from my buddy. I said, hey, what's going on? I said, I assume I got passed over because I haven't heard from anybody. He goes, no, no, I'm calling to tell you to come in. We want you to meet with our software consultant. I'm like, what? what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. So I come back in and I say, I'm going this long drawn story because I, I have you have to understand the, the timeline. I meet this guy. 
who's a former chief engineer of radio stations in the Baltimore, Maryland area, went out on his own to do software writing. This is back in the 80s. And landed a contract to write the software for two major networks. One of them was ABC, and the other one was NPR. <laughs> so I'm sitting in a room with a guy who basically writes software for the two, you know, of the at the time three, two of the four largest radio largest, networks yeah. in America. And I'm on. So why am I here with you? He goes, Well, there's there's a feeling that you may you might have the right stuff. I said. You're being campy, aren't you? He goes, no, no, I don't mean to be making fun of the astronauts with the right stuff phrase, but he goes, something you said to the senior VP of engineering and the senior general manager of operations at ABC caught your, their attention and they want me to talk to you. I said, why? Because he goes, well, I used to be chief engineer at a local radio station, so you and I have something in something common. Something in common, yeah. So I, we're going to talk and see where things go. Two and a half hours later in a conference room in a very large business you know, office building in Manhattan overlooking the Hudson River, I'm like, Okay, uh, this has been an interesting time. We had a great time. Yeah. We had a fun time. He goes, well, thank you very much for making the time. I'm sorry to keep you so long. I was like, nah, it's all right. I took the day off from the office. I'm going to head down to Times Square and see what's going on in the Triple X movies. And, you know, that's about it. <laughs> this is before Times Square became yeah, yeah, yeah. Times Square Disney. And <laughs> he looks at me and laughs. He's like, all right, that's good. I like that. And then three more weeks go by. So mind you, now it's six weeks, six seven weeks. weeks. I'm like, this is, this is boy, talk about stringing you along. Yeah. Uh, my buddy calls me up goes hey let's get together for dinner i was like all right fine i haven't seen you in a while and you catch up with his wife and we just have fun get together we sit down he slides across the table an envelope and i'm like dude we're at a bar we're drinking what is this what, are, what are you thing? giving me what is this i feel like uh he goes just just read it he's paying his respects yes yeah, i said oh what happened yeah i didn't get the job so you're, you're, you're like yeah. handing me something else he goes no no it was a letter of intent to hire me oh that's great i was like are you kidding me with abc this? yeah he goes well, I figured it before I offer you the gig, I want to show you that we're interested in if you decide to do anything, if if you do lose your job because they find out you've been lo- you know, looking around, yeah. we will definitely guarantee you employment regardless. I'm like, whoa, okay, that's a new one. So I go back up there to meet with them for the final interview, and the senior VP of engineering says to me, he goes, well, you know what? I was told if I didn't hire you, I was an idiot. I'm like, what? He goes, Our software consultant says you're the guy. That's great. I said, but I don't know anything about Unix. Not enough. He goes, don't worry. We're going to pay. Have you go to Unix class for two weeks. They have them here in Manhattan every every three months. And then you're going to spend two weeks down with the consultant in Maryland at his uh, office. And you're going to learn the system. I'm like, okay. I'm talking about being tossed into the fire. Yeah. That's, now you got to learn it. Now I got to learn it. But that's how it went. And, and the reason I got to that level to break me into the oh, called the commercial environment was because of my willingness to be flexible learn the other side, or walk a mile in someone's shoes. Does that happen now? It doesn't happen as often because nowadays the environment is people are, are trying to keep their jobs because they don't know enough. See, here's, here's what's changed over the years, and this is a shame, but it's what's happened. A lot of folks have stopped learning. You see, when I was, when I was getting up to that point at the job at ABC, which to this day I still am very grateful for the opportunity and the things I learned and the people I worked with, some of the best in the business. But one of the things I did discover years later I was always learning, reinventing myself, reinventing the knowledge and learning and learning. When I met that person, I told him, here's what I do. Here's why I know it. I understand what you're trying to do, and it's a shame that you can't get the right person. But yeah. And using the comedy act, you could swing a dead cat in Times Square and get an IT guy. Yeah. I said, but you can't get somebody in IT who knows traffic and, and software um, programming. That's what they caught. That was what caught their attention, they told me. They said, hey, we don't care about your resume. Yeah, you transmit it. So what? You do transmit a satellite script. It's great. That's easy. You can read that in a book. But what you can't get in a book is working with programming people, news people, people that do the editorial that changes every day. That's yeah. not in a book. 
you know, how to write a story. If you know how many lines in a page means sixty seconds, that's a book. Why, why do you think people stop learning? Because they got too comfortable, or because the the industry changed and it went into a different direction? Um, I think some for, for some people comfortable, other people just fear. I think one of the things that we we forget, you know, when you're a kid, you know how the old saying goes: when you're a kid, you're fearless, and when you're older, you, you become aware of your uh, mortality. You know. Yeah. I think what happens is a lot of a lot of us lose sight of the fact that you're always learning. That fear should always be, you should always be fearless, but now you should be a little more uh, understanding of what you're going to do. The you know every action has a consequence. You know if you look at the history of some test pilots, you know go back in the day of the uh, astronaut program or, or fighter pilots, you read some of the stories of these guys and what they did and how they did it. They broke every rule, but the one thing that every one of them had in common was. They knew everything there was to know about who built that plane, the engineers, the guys who designed it. They sat there with them, and you could read this, look this up. You know, this this famous one of the famous engineers uh, of all time in avionics, uh, aviation was uh, Kelly Johnson. That's the Skunk Works. Those are the guys that came up with some of the fastest planes ever in the world, and to this day, some of those planes are still classified. Yeah, sixty years later, they're still classified technologies. Sixty years, but the guys who flew those planes, like John Glenn. Neil Armstrong, just name a few you know, ones you know. You see pictures, you read articles, and they sat there with these guys at the, you know, the big, big boards and you know, mechanical drawing with pencils and stuff and, sure. and slide rules and said, and these guys, the backgrounds of some of these guys were chemists, mechanical engineers, you, you name it. That's why they did what they did, and they did it well, and they enjoyed it. Because they understood it. They understood it. They knew, you know what? I'm in a plane of 30,000 feet. I've just lost control. I've mean, got an excessive yaw. The plane is spinning left to right. He doesn't panic. He knows that if he gets a certain angle, he can get certain lift on the wings, he can get back into control. He knows that because he understands aerodynamics. He understands the, the mechanical stuff. Yeah. So let's fast forward to broadcasting. If you're a broadcast engineer or you're somebody in broadcasting and you're a technical person and you understand, hey, that jock is doing certain things a certain way with the microphone and the audio doesn't sound right, you know down the line what to do to fix that yeah and then you can work with them and say dude you can sound even better do you, you do think this. do you think on air personalities now understand the technical aspects of how they're getting on the air and how some it sounds do. and yeah some of them do because they just have that background which is great and others have no clue nor an inkling to understand it and they don't care too. they don't care which is fine but if you have to engage in in conversation with them or work with them you need to respect the fact that their name is on the marquee. There is no requirement for them to understand why the microphone works the way it does. The STL link, you know, the studio transmitter link or the transmitters or the internet streaming box. All you need to understand is their name is on the marquee. It's their show. You got to find a way to work with them, meet them halfway and say, hey, I'm going to help you be successful or continue your success. Yeah. You know, once they see that, trust me, you'll have no problems. I, I've done this with many people. I'll, I'll drop names just, just an example. Mike Francesa I've worked with, great guy. You know, he is exactly what you hear on the radio, off microphone, great guy, family guy. He's got, you know, everything about him is just right. Can he be sometimes, a, you know, a pain in the neck when you're talking to him as you're talking sports? Absolutely, but that's his thing. But it's a good thing. It's not yeah. something, it's like you and I at, at the bar talking. Yeah. We get at it, we go crazy. It's not because we hate each other, because that's the passion. Yeah, yeah. Mike is the same way. I worked with Bill O'Reilly, and, you know, he too, his name is on the marquee. And, you know, things would happen during his show when we were distributing on the network for radio, and he would go crazy. I'd walk in and said, dude, what's your problem? Tell me. And I'd work with him. He'd be like, oh, you understand? I said, yeah, absolutely. Here, try this, try this. Great. Thank you very much. Never had a problem after that because he understood 
I too am trying to get them successful sure. or continue the success. I worked with Laura Ingram with her radio show. Same thing. She Gordon Liddy, you know, I, and Bob Schmidt at ABC News. I've Jim Hickey, all these guys I've worked with, and I learned from this one guy, the cobbler, that you have to walk a mile in his shoes and understand what they're doing, and you'll you'll have no problems. Let, let's skip so ahead a little bit. That's where that's how yeah, that's, that's how I got to where I am. I mean, so everything after that is just the same stuff. I had that one thing that that early on in your that's it life. And it's kind of, you've taken it with you everywhere you've yeah. gone. And that's what you do. And if you do that, you'll, you'll, you'll succeed. <laughs> it's not easy. Trust me. It's, it's not as easy as it sounds. So you, you're, you're now working for big radio station right now. No. You're, you're, you're doing your own thing now. Yes. Um, how did it change over the, over the time, from the time that you got into radio to the time that you left, you know, radio in that sense i think it's just um the industry's mature they change you know back in uh, the late early 90s uh the industry started started shifting toward more value-added stockholder requirements so companies were forced to make changes as to how they do business you know 20 30 years ago if you're a radio station you had a crazy idea to do something nobody had a problem spending ten thousand dollars to to do the crazy thing because they knew what the outcome would be and you know it was a gut feeling today that same approach can't be done because you have to guarantee that you're spending that ten thousand. And when you do, you have to play it safe. You have to play it safe because now, what is what was maybe a privately held company or even if it was publicly traded, the attitude of shareholders today is not the same, and that's what shifted the mindset in, the, in over the last twenty years. You, and that's why I decided to you know as I was doing stuff, I was getting less and less opportunity to really do it right to make the money for the company. I said, ah, screw it. You know what? Time for me to move on, take my knowledge, and, and go elsewhere. <laughs> Do you think it, we're going to see another, you know, Rush Limbaugh or Howard Stern type, uh, you know, charismatic, very engaging personality on radio now that, you know, it's taking a different shift that may be risky? That's not going to keep the stockholders happy if, if something is a little too risky. Yeah. You know, like, it, it, is it possible now on radio to capture that type of? It still is. It is. It still is. The problem is you have to have somebody willing to take the chance and who, I shouldn't say take a chance, who gets it and knows that it will work and just stick with it. And you won't see that happen, I think, at the larger markets. I think the smaller markets is where you're going to find that, people that engage the audience locally. Uh, you know, New York City is a large market. New York City can be And we have no morning s- talk guy. We have no... Yeah, you have nothing. We, we really don't. We don't have yeah. an FM talk guy. We don't yeah. have a... We have Elvis Duran. I mean, that's about it. Yeah, but he's only one. But he's only. You have two. All right, you have two morning shows that have been perennial. Have been with the market. Thirty years. People have grown up with them. Okay, so they've grown up. They've gone through the life cycle. And John Gambling is ending. His career ends, I think, at the end of the year. So he goes away. So you're down to two shows that have a, if you will, a built-in audience. There's nothing else. There's nothing. Nobody's doing anything. But New York City can easily do that kind of stuff. But everybody has this mindset: oh, you can't too large. Not. It's not true. But. Again, we've got to go back to the way business is being run today. Whether you're in the radio business or whether you're in the computer business, the same common link is, can you guarantee, guarantee me a certain success, and whether it be dollars, whatever you set, and if you can't, then you're out. And it's like, yeah, but certain businesses, it takes time for it to grow. Sure. You know? you know, incubate. I'll use the phrase incubate. Let, let's go into the future. Let's go into the internet. Mm, um, the wild frontier. Internet broadcasting. This is where anybody and everybody could have a radio show online. Mm-hmm have an internet-based show, and it could pick up thousands of viewers, mm-hmm. or it could pick up five viewers. It doesn't even matter. Um, how has that changed radio? How and, and we'll go into you know everything else beyond that, but 
how has it changed the way that how, how, actually how does how does radio perceive the internet as far as content are they getting it do they understand it do they not like it well everything i have to say from here forward is my opinion remember um i believe the radio industry has lost sight of what they're they're about and yes there are some people in the business that uh despise internet think it's unfair or claim it's not the same you can't do this you can't do that my thing is radio will always be a force in someone's life if it's content if it's content is compelling to that individual nowadays most of it isn't so that's why it's taken a back seat internet radio we'll call it or internet delivery uh, has an opportunity to be the radio of 60 years ago which is when radio first came out kdka had the first elections on the radio in 1929 people were like oh my goodness check this out this is unbelievable i cannot believe i'm sitting in my house in lancaster pa hearing about the elections in pittsburgh well fast forward 60 years later you now have the internet and i've got this phone device that i can actually right now call up a radio station we'll call it internet radio anywhere on the globe and listen to something really cool and yeah. go wow this is great why would a broadcaster say in the terrestrial radio side of things i use the word terrestrial i know a lot of people hate that but just for differentiation, why would you hate that? Why would you despise it? You should look at that and go, this is great. I should now make sure my programming or maybe create programming that can be served to that audience. And that's what I've always said. I've said this for years, and I know friends of mine who have uh, we've talked about this. I've always thought the internet part of a radio station, we'll call it the internet web, should have been an adjunct to the business model. Should have been a you know a, a separate business if you choose, or it should have complemented what you did should not be trying to create a different avenue, a different reinvent the wheel type of approach. So internet radio is is a future that can be really, really bright. Radio broadcasters who don't get it will fall behind, will shut down business, shut down the shop, and that's their only fault. They're, they're, the internet is not the, the fault of radio or TV over the air TV's failure. It seems like five, six years ago, the fight for radio was XM, satellite radio. That was the competitor in some extent, but in reality... It was never a competitor. It was never a competitor because no. it's a it's a, it's a paid model. It's a premium model. Yeah. And, you know, they talk about 36 million subscribers to XM. Fine, let's say that number is accurate. How many people... That 36 million people have access to a service while in radio, 300 million people have access to that. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's not even... 10%. No, it, it, I mean, it, barely 10%. It's perception of what you believe to be reality. And, and, and sadly, a lot of business managers, business people in radio just have lost sight of it. I worked for a, a radio station that it's weekly CUM, weekly audience, okay? The weekly audience was just shy or just over a million people a week, right? But And those are unique? Yeah, unique. Yeah, yeah. that would be the ratings. That, you know, it was a million. I believe it was a million, if I have that right. It's been a while now. Um, and then... We would go to an a venue to cover the event to do something. We'd go to the press age, uh, public relations people and say, hey, I'm with such and such radio station. We're here to cover the event with so-and-so. Can you credential us to come in? Uh, blah, blah, blah. And they'd be like, well, you know, the, you know this is a, an audience that's, you know, we, we're reaching a certain audience. We actually have CNN coming in and, and somebody else to do it. But, you know, thank you very much. You're like, wait a minute. You're trying to reach an audience in the New York market, right? Well, yeah. So what are you saying? CNN is the better choice? Well, yeah, it's CNN. I'm like, really? Okay, they're fine. Then we'll just cover it as a news story from outside, and we'll see what happens. What do you mean? You know what? I'm only engineer. I'm just here to get credentials. If you want to know more about the sales and market reach and, and reach and frequency, yeah. uh, you should talk to one of our, our salespeople or the news directors with me. He'll be more happy to explain the numbers. 
So then the woman's like, curious. I purposely did this because I was like, I was getting annoyed. Yeah. Because we're getting shut out from something we should be at. And the news guy who's with me, he's like, all right, I guess I'm up. I said, yes, you are. I'm going to get the equipment and get set up because we'll be going in shortly. Because how do you know? I said, do your thing. He does his thing. He tells the woman, well, lady, I didn't like that, but he says, ma'am, yeah. just so you know, you know, the radio station reaches about a million to a week. We have an average cum or average audience per quarter hour, which is every 15 minutes roughly, of somewhere in the order of like 20,000 people or whatever at any given time based on the rating services of Arbitron, uh, blah, blah, blah. CNN has the following numbers, which are, you know, a meager tenth of all this stuff if you're lucky. And she goes, well, I said, he goes, I'm just letting you know. It's up to you. And then I, I told him to use this line whenever he uh, gets challenged. I said, ask her, you know, did you take a cab this morning to come to the office? And, and she, she goes, yes, I did. What radio station was on in the uh, in the cab when you when you got in? She goes, "Oh, I got my uh, my news." She goes, "Yeah, what radio station?" Ten Ten Wins. Yeah. Okay. Ten Ten Wins reaches more people, okay, than CNN does in a week. That's absolutely but, true. Yeah. But I'm saying this not because I used to work there, but because of the perception, people perceive that CNN is a better choice for certain things because it's CNN. Now CNN does a very good job what they do. I'm not I'm not knocking them. But let's put it in perspective of what we're talking about local market. I'm not talking national, I'm talking local. You know what? You get into a cab in New York City, which radio station do you hear when you get in there? I put money on the table. 1010 wins. It's either one of two stations, either BBC America on the NPR station, or it's 1010 wins. I said, what else do you need for, you know, to credit, you know, show what the audience is looking for and wants? And that dovetails back to, again, what are you doing in internet radio? Are you providing content that's compelling? Yeah. People, people go for it. They don't care it's an AM station. It's what they want. They get it. They go with it. And that's that's where things fall apart. And you know they've tried that. they've tried to compete with Ten Ten Wins here in New York, and yes, they can't. There was there was an FM station. There was that an tried FM it. talk. FM talk tried to do FM talk news and uh, failed miserably. And it wasn't because it was AM or FM. Okay, it wasn't the technology. It was because people knew. And I guarantee you that you in your market, wherever you may be listening to this uh, netcast right now. You have a favorite place to go to for information that you need that you can't get easily in a you know emergency or you know something like that. Now, now we're talking about local markets. We're talking about national syndication, things like that. But with internet broadcasting, with with what we do, um, with you know a talk format, mm-hmm. it how does someone and with local? I feel like with local you could gain a lot of popularity because you're. You're you're going to a smaller market, obviously, mm-hmm. and you're able to do a grassroots marketing. You're able to reach out more. You could reach out to businesses, and they could advertise. It's more one on one. But I feel like with internet broadcasting, the concept of local really doesn't exist because everybody's listening. Everybody's accessible. How do you? How does someone like? I mean, well, I, I'm a little different because my brand is local. Uh, I have guys from Queens name, so I am kind of appealing to a local brand. But how does someone that's doing this appeal to a local market when you're so broad? Well, you're you're broad because the technology offers you the broad capabilities, but you're not broad because of the content. Now, GFQ, guys from Queens, when you market the, the network, you're not always saying guy from Queen, guys from Queens. You usually say GFQ network. It depends who, yeah. depends on who you're talking yeah. to because you're choosing the market or the audience you're trying to reach. And that's part of it. But the, the real success of GFQ is is the content, is, is what you have on it. And that is where the grassroots comes out of. It could be local, it could be national, it could be international, it doesn't matter. The content. We do This Week in Radio Tech, right? I'll, I'll use that as a reference because I'm part of it. This Week in Radio Tech can touch anybody globally. But we don't talk to people globally. We talk to you, the one individual 
that may work at radio, TV, or anywhere. It, it does technology. You have the Mat Men wrestling, right? You have What the Tech. And then those in itself have an ecosystem or a support system that just develops on its own. You want to take it to radio and say, you know, how do you start local? There was a guy on an AM station in New York City, you know, over, what, 30 years ago? He was doing talk. He was irreverent. He was doing music. People, you know, couldn't believe the things he would say and do, but he had a following. He had a very strong following. They couldn't believe the fact that he could, you know, turn the tables on stuff. And then what happened? The radio station that had him just couldn't deal with it because they didn't see it that way. They, yeah. Their perception was X. His was Y. Let's fast forward to that guy today. It's Howard Stern. Okay? Howard Stern started out grassroots local. No one knew him anywhere else in the world except in New York City and maybe a few other places. Right? 19, was it 86, 85, something like that. And here he is today. He's, he's a well-known. I've had an opportunity to support through t working um, with his show. On the background, you know, not foreground. I was in the background keeping him on the air with stuff. Worked with the guys who did the same thing. I was like third tier back. Met him a few times. I had a roommate years past that actually interviewed him when he was working at that small little radio station. Oh, that was like WNBC, 660, now known as WFM. He interviewed him. I got a chance to sit and watch and listen. Guy was genius in what he did and how he does it, and it's evident by his success. He got it. Yeah, He got it. That's how you make it local. You don't force it on anybody. You just do it. And if it's local for the local guy, they'll pick it up and they'll tell somebody else. That's where I think people are missing the success stories and missing out. How do I make this work? I, I mean, I could sit here and put together you know, $200,000 worth of technology and make it you know, whiz-bang, unbelievable. You can program your network from an airplane at 30,000 feet. But if you're putting out color bars or a barking dog and nobody wants to watch or hear it, guess what? You failed. You failed, yeah. That's the reality. I mean, I know I'm putting it in simplest terms, but that's what it came down to. I have, I've met... Uh, I met a, a, a gentleman briefly at a uh, broadcast event. He was interviewed by a reporter. At the time, his competition had just hired a new news anchor. This is for television. And he was asked the question, you know, what do you think of the changes at, at, uh, at the news network and what they're doing? Do you think, uh, you know, you, you have to be concerned about your upstart that you've just launched your new network, you're, you're four years old, blah, blah, blah. His response was, he goes, well... You know what? I think if they had a balking re golden retriever for 24 hours a day, they still couldn't get an audience. Yeah. Or they could do better with that. I think, I'm sorry, I think they could do better with a balking dog. This gentleman was Roger Ailes, Fox News Network VP, of, you know, the, the head man, yeah. talking about CNN. Okay? He didn't care. It's like, look, do what you want. That's competition. I get it. We understand what we're going to do. We do our thing, and we make it happen. This was five years ago. Look where they are today. Five years later, his comment, literally off the cuff, random, was not scripted, nothing, was, hey, you know what? I think a barking dog will do better than these guys. That's his opinion. He has that right. Five years later, where are they still? Yeah. Okay? That's what you do. So if you're an internet radio broadcaster, netcast, whatever you want to call it, just pick something that makes sense, that you enjoy, you, you can talk about with credibility, and we'll, you know, and that's, that's where you go from there. Let, we'll talk about content a little bit with internet broadcasting, and then we'll talk about you know building it out and, mm -hmm. and what you think is the proper setup for someone that's doing this. Oh yeah. yeah. When it comes to content, um, th there seems to be two types of shows that that have gained popularity. I think now there's a there's a small group of people that are doing very niche style program like this week in Radio Tech. You don't yep. get nicher than that. I mean, it's appealing to a very specific audience but 
up until now, it's really been comedy podcasts and technology podcasts. They run everything, mm-hmm. a- everywhere you look. Is that the right way of doing it or the wrong way of doing it right now? Because there's so much, it, the, that, that genre is so saturated where discoverability is getting difficult. I know people that were doing this 12 years ago. They got into it in the early days, and you could put a show out, and people will find it because there was really 20 other people only doing this. Right. Now, there's 20,000 people doing it. Well, I, I, think, I don't think it's, um, it's something of being saturated. I mean, if you're good at technology, I've met many, many netcasters who are technology netcasters. They do a really great job of some of the stuff. I've learned a few things from them watching their, their videos. I think nowadays with the way search engine optimization works and keywords and all the other, you know, you can do what, six dozen different ways of doing it. I think if you're really clever and uh, um, smart about how you, you present yourself, you can find your way up the list. You can, you know, maybe take a grassroots approach if you're a technology person and you think your podcast or videocast is uh, worthy. You find ways to get the word out and, and slowly build it. You know, if I was starting something today, uh, I've worked with many folks doing video podcasts in the last 10 years. If I was to start out today fresh, you know, advising a friend or somebody, I would say start small, low impact on the money, just, you know, simple stuff, and then build slowly. Look at, you know, listen to yourself, make sure you ask the question, and this is, this is a friend of mine who's a program director 20 years ago told me this one. He goes, simply ask yourself this one question. If you're going to do this, you're going to do that, blah, 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 who cares? Yeah. If you can answer who cares, I guarantee you, you've got a success and it'll grow. And I'll never forget that. And he used to do this to the jocks. He would take the jocks in and anybody who's a disc jockey or now or retired or whatever remembers those days when you get called into the program director's office for your weekly meeting to go over your show tapes or nowadays, you know, the air checks on a, on a computer. And you talk about the elements in your show and what was good or bad or what you missed the mark and what we're, pre- what we're presenting to the audience, what we th- want them to perceive. And he would always sit there with the phone, the phone calls. And he'd sit and listen to the call, the jock interact, blah, blah, blah. And then he would just sit there and goes, who cares? And the jock would respond back, yeah, you're right, nobody would care. And he'd slap the table and go, that's the point I'm trying to make. I don't want them to say who cares and walk yeah. away. I want them to say, I do care. And what the hell are you talking about? And why can't I get more of this? Yeah. And I'll never forget that. I sat in one of his sessions. He actually, I worked for a broadcast company, I have to say, it was the only one in my career that actually forced the other departments to sit in other departments' meetings. So engineering would sit in programming once a week. or That's once actually every- really, really oh, it was, smart. It was genius. Yeah. It was genius at the time. It was like probably unheard of. And I remember sitting in sales meetings. That's how I learned sales. Marketing, promotions, I learned that. News and the uh, programming department. I got to watch jocks get literally torn down. I was like, whoa, talk about rejection. But I learned a lot. And that one line, who cares? So, you know, this week in radio tech, sometimes we have topics that some people say, who cares about it? But then there's always like, oh, wait, I do. Oh, okay. Yeah. All it takes is that one person or that one answer is, yes, I do. Great. Then roll with it. So if you're doing tech or you're doing comedy or maybe you're doing uh, building furniture, maybe you know, you're a carpenter and you do carpentry in such a way that it's an old, old style that's been lost because it's all automated and you like doing it and it doesn't cost you much to do it. You make a, a video podcast. Just remember, who cares? If you can say honestly, who cares and do what you're doing, you got something, and just let you're it roll. Absolutely right, I, and I and I definitely think you should offer something different. I mean, with with technology based podcasts, you could get that information everywhere. Oh yeah, everywhere, absolutely. So why am I going to listen to you for an hour when I could go to Engadget 
and just scroll down and get all the information in 15 minutes. Because I will deliver it to you in a way that you can digest Absolutely. it and absorb it better. It's just like taking vitamins before you eat or after you eat. Yeah. The body will accept it a certain way, only one way. And that's the way it makes it work. And it's the same true. And Gadget's a great site. Yeah. I use it all the time. But there are times I like to see somebody else. Like there was a guy, what the hell was that? I can't remember his name now. It was a guy who did this tech podcast I would catch every so often. And he would talk about uh, why a certain router wasn't the one to use for this or that, for gaming. And I was sitting there going, oh, that's interesting. I Okay, I know exactly what he's talking about. I knew the exact technology part of it. Yeah. But what he added to it was, here's why it'll never work. And he would show a gaming setup and say, here, this is it, this is it. And you'd be like, oh, interesting. That's what. You, that's the difference. Uh, I, my approach has been, I'm not an expert on anything. I'm an enthusiast. Yeah. I'm not an expert on audio. I'm not an expert on video. Technology, too. My, my most successful show, I am not an expert in. I'm not qualified to sit there and tell you the technical reason behind what I'm saying. I am an enthusiast, and what I can offer you is my personal reaction to things mm -hmm. so i get i get emails all the time and this is an advice that, that i'll give to anybody i get emails all the time from people that say andrew two weeks ago you said you love this thing and now you hate it you're being a hypocrite and i said no i'm being a human being i changed my opinion at that moment you got the reaction you got my my the sheer emotion mm -hmm. of what i was feeling yeah now two weeks later now i feel differently that's why you're listening you're not listening because i'm going to sit there and list the technical specs of this product yeah you can look that up you're listening because <laughs> i'm either being erratic or i'm making a lot of sense or you dis you don't agree with me or you really agree with me and i think that's the approach everybody should take there's so many shows out there that just sit there and just report the news and read the news you could get there that information 50 other places people are listening to twerk not because you, Kirk, Tom, and Chris are reading things mm. because you guys are interacting and talking about personal experience. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's I mean, why people listen. Yeah, I mean, I've gotten plenty of emails from people, comments I've made on Twitter, and they're, they're like, you know, you were spot on about it. I was like, well, you do realize what I was saying was, by some standards, you know, being mean and putting people down, or technology, that is. And they're like, yeah, that's right. But, you know, you were right about it. I said, well, that's my opinion. That's the way it works. But that's what it yeah. is. Yeah, I'm, you can, you know, I always tell people when I do presentations uh, at conferences and somebody goes, do you want to, you need a projector for a PowerPoint? I'm like, no, I'm not going to do a PowerPoint. You're not? I was like, no. Nah, Why? Nah. Why? Why? Uh, what are you crazy? I'm not going to do a keynote or a PowerPoint, whatever, you know, software you want to call it. And um, they're like, well, well, how are you going to do this? I said, well, I think I'm going to do the old fashioned way. They said, they go, the moderator looks at me and goes, what's the old fashioned way? I'm just going to talk about it and engage the audience and take questions. And they look at me like, huh? So when I open up my presentation, I just did this at the Audio Engineering Society uh, panel this past uh, October. I just open up and say, look, you know, I don't have a PowerPoint for you. I have a couple of pictures I'm going to put up, and uh, we're going to talk about them. If you'd like the PowerPoint presentation, uh, you can talk to one of my other panelists here. They'll be more than happy to show you theirs. And if you want to know more about the technology we're going to talk about, there are several websites you can look up that information. But for today, you and I are going to talk about why these pictures I'm going to show you make sense for the conversation or the topic of this, this uh, today's panel. And I'll tell you, I had some great questions from people afterwards. I was yeah. like, they're like, well, what about this? What about that? I'm like, uh, yeah, that's a good one. Well, here's what we did. And that's what I think is what's missing in a lot of places. So netcast could be the same thing, but not being in the room with the person, you're just putting it out there and whatever method you have for them to respond back, you know, whether it's a tweet or it's Facebook or it's email or, or a chat, that's, that's how you do it. And I don't, I, you know, we do on Twitter, we definitely 
you know, we break the mold on a lot of things. Yeah. And some stuff we just for fun, we'll follow the, the pack just for, you know, we'll be like, okay, for this next 10 minutes, we'll be lemmings and we'll just do it like everybody else says. <laughs> sure. I mean, but, but it's something different all the time. Yes. Uh, let's talk about building a setup. Absolutely. Uh, an internet radio station, a network, a uh, podcasting studio, whatever you want to call it. What would you do if you were to build out, you know, a hmm. solid studio? Because we get this question all the time. What should I buy? How should I start this? Okay, I've been doing this for a year. I want to upgrade. What should I do? Mm-hmm. There's so many, and, and your approach has been something that I really like, and it's there's not one way of doing it. No. no. I mean, there's, there's obviously the right way of doing it, but that doesn't necessarily have to be the right way of doing it. Well, yeah, when you say the right way, you know, people expect to hear right, wrong. I don't think there's a wrong way of doing anything with the, with the netcasting. I think what happens is we lose sight of what it is we're trying to accomplish. So I would take the approach first. I'm an individual. I want to do a netcast. Okay, my question to you is, what do you want to talk about? Uh, curtains. Okay, fine. You want to talk about curtains, fabrics. Okay, great. History of fabrics and where they come from and dye processes and all these other things. That's great. Where are you going to do it? Well, I have a spare room in my apartment or a closet or a cubby. Okay, great. Um, do you want to do video? You're going to do video and audio, audio only? Uh, I think in video because I have to show the curtains. Okay, fine. Tell you what. You have a, an old computer laying around that somebody doesn't want or whatever. Yeah, good. Go out and buy yourself. Uh, you know, I, I'll use Logitech because their cameras seem to be most consistent um, that I've tested. I haven't tested many, but Logitech cameras seem to be the test uh, consistent test test consistently. Get a Logitech webcam. Don't have to worry about doing 1080i, 1080p, 720p HD if you don't want to. Um, set that up. Microphone now. Get yourself a simple mic. Anything under 100 bucks will be fine. You don't have to go crazy. What, what would you recommend to them? Uh, ATR twenty one hundred. ATR twenty one hundred is fine. Um, don't don't follow the pack when people go. Well, you know, uh, an SM fifty eight sure microphone is great because it's used by performers on stage. Well, there's a reason why they do that because they swing it on the end of the micro cable and they want to hang hit people yeah. with it. You know, and then when they break it, it's easy to replace. And they yeah. break it, they have a, a road crew that takes care of it for them. So let's let's put things in perspective. Uh, the 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 2100 by Audio Technica is a great mic. It works very well. It's priced right. It'll get you started. Okay. So, you know, if somebody says to you, oh, no, I'm going to use an SM7, that's the microphone I'm pointing to right now, the one I'm speaking on, or I'm going to use a Neumann mic that Andrew is using, no, you don't have to do that. Because remember what we're talking about. It's the content that's going to drive the audience to you. So, as long as they can hear you clearly, as long as you uh, pronunciate and, and, and enunciate everything clearly, and they can see you clearly, that's a start. So the webcam, sub hundred dollar webcam will be perfect. Now you need lighting. Why do you need lighting? Well, the webcams today are not inferior, but the size of the, the image, the imager, which is the lens, we'll just call it for that, is so small that you need a lot of light for the thing to work properly. You go to Home Depot, Lowe's, or a local hardware store, and you get yourself three. Uh, I'll say three because it makes sense. I've done it, and it does work. Three CFL lights, okay, the compact fluorescent lights. And um, they're usually the branding of them is varies from Sylvania to GE to others. You want daylight color, okay? Daylight color is typically 5,000 K, 5,000 Kelvin degrees. That simulates the closest to what our human eyes are accustomed to, what you're watching us right now. 
is roughly 5,000 K. Actually, you know, it's, it's funny you say that. Or, because you know, it's in I'm a range. I'll just say it's well, in a range. Well, I'm compensating. I'm actually sitting at flat 5,000 K because I'm compensating on the camera mm -hmm. because these are a little over. I think these are like 5,400 or 5,300. Yeah. And the camera's set at like 4,700. Oh, so it's a little cool. So, yeah. so it's a little cool. So I'm balancing up. I'm actually at yeah. 5,000. Well, that's why I'm saying you can grab um, these bulbs. You get three of them. And here's why you're going to go three. And you get three bulbs. They're really small. If you see my hand, it's uh, it's about three inches tall, and maybe an inch in diameter. I have them at home. I use them for the twerk cast. It works pretty well for me. I'm doing some changes there. And you take the three of them, and what you do is you put them in front of you, typically about arm's length, maybe two arm's length, depending on the amount of room you have to work with. And you put one center straight in front of you to start, then off to the right, to the left. So you think of three of them. And if you could picture lines of light coming out of the bulb toward you, you want all three lines to intersect right where your face and microphone are. Yeah. Okay? That's to start with. Now, don't worry about color balance 100% or, or understanding the color balance technology or the temperature ranges and stuff like that because you get somebody giving you some grief. Once you've got that set up, and you can use clamp-on uh, hangers. You don't have to get anything crazy. You don't get, you know, tripod-mounted $60 things. Just, you know, clip-on clamps. Clamp it to a shelf above you. Find Find a space that you can work with that makes sense. The lights should be roughly, yeah, an arm in length, two arm lengths away from you. Try not to go too far above you. You know, stay within about a three foot, you know, uh, angle, if you will. And then, what you do is you go into the web software for the webcam, and you look at the picture, and you look and you try to get a color balance. So, the thing to do is background. Try not to make it too dark. If you can, make it somewhat, we'll say, a lighter color, because the darker it is, the harder the video compression has to work. So you do it light color. You should wear something contrasting so you don't blend into the back wall. So if the black wall, in this case, is a blue, I'm wearing something lighter. I purposely went with a jacket a little lighter in color so it's contrast. And once you do that, that contrast, remember, our eyes see things in reflective light. And, and as a result, um, you want the light to reflect off you so the camera responds accordingly so that we can see properly. That's why I'm saying do the contrast. Now, this doesn't require thousands of dollars to do. You know, you can have a simple jacket or a shirt. It doesn't have to be anything special. You just want contrast. And you have to experiment. You'll see when you look at the webcam software, you'll notice if you look, if your skin tone is not flesh tone, right? You know, yeah. what we look like, make the adjustment. That's what they call white balance. White balance is the color temperature balance of the camera based on the light that it sees. So if all three lights are the same color temperature, you're starting off the right way. If you took three lights of different types of color temperature, your camera will constantly be trying to adjust for it. Yeah. And you'll either come out very blue or very green, or sometimes very red. So get the three lights, then you go to the white balance setting, see where it moves to a nice, uh, you know, nice balance, take it off auto, save the settings, and you should be fine. Everything else you should be able to leave alone. The gain other adjustments should be, shouldn't play around much. I know with my Logitech camera I've been using, if I take the white balance off auto, everything else stays just everything, fine. Everything, yeah. It's the white balance because it's based on light, reflection. So if, as I move around, if I had a light meter in front of me right now, that needle would be going up and down or the, the display would be numbers going up and down. So that's the easy start. So sub-100 webcam, sub-100 uh, dollar microphone, would, now the computer. Would you tell them to go USB or would you recommend a mixer? I think if you're starting out just for yourself, I'd go USB uh, to get started, get a feel for it because, again, we're – the goal is to understand your content um, creation, what you're trying to do, what you're trying to say, convey the, the, the story, the storytelling maybe. So let's start off with a USB mic that you can plug into any computer you get your hands on. 
if you start doing a mixer and everything else, now you're at, I'm going to call tier three tiers of, of netcasting. Tier three, I'm starting out, I'm incubating, I'm trying to figure out where I got to get my legs. You know, it's like, like it's like a newborn uh, baby. You, you're learning the environment. You're, you're figuring out what to eat. Uh, who's going to feed me? Why am I getting fed by you? And what's going on? Tier two, I'm past that. I'm now, you know, I'm three months into it. I've got a rhythm. I've got things happening. Tier two, we could start with a mixer. And so now I'm going to bring in other elements. Because yeah. really, when you think about it, what's the mixer for? For mixing sources. Well, if you're the only one on camera. You, why do you need to mix Why sources? do you need to mix yourself? Just play it safe. Play it easy. And then, on, as we'll call it the tier three person using the USB microphone, single microphone. Say you, you start to get a rhythm. And one day you get this idea. Oh, you know what? I can go to this curtain factory and sit and talk to somebody. Well, guess what? You take your laptop with your USB mic. Plug it right in. You yeah. plug it right in, and you do a traditional one single mic back and forth. You learn how to do that. And you don't get crazy with a mixer on location. You just simply go back and forth. Then you, you, you see how you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. It's like an evolutionary step. Yeah. Once you understand it, you become a tier two netcaster. The tier three stuff didn't go obsolete. You can still use the USB mic input. Because maybe you bought the little mic adapter USB device, not a microphone with USB on it. Yeah. So you could future-proof yourself and say, down the road, that little device can now be the output of my mixer. And that's why I like the ATR2100, because it is both USB and, and XLR. Exactly. So you could actually use that. Um, I I really think a lot of people, when they start out with this, they, they see what everybody else is using. Don't, do that. Don't use that as get, a comparison. They get very excited. They go, well, now I need to go buy a mixer. I need to go buy... Uh, the the Heil mic arm, I got to get a PR40, I got to get, and they're spending yeah. like $2,000 right. off the bat, and they've done maybe nothing. They haven't done a show yet. And they do a show, and they realize it's not for them. Right. I, I'm, I'm a big advocate of that that microphone. That's why I always tell people, go with that, because you're future-proofing yourself, and you, you know what? You could get a good couple of years out of this. Oh, easily. Yeah, easily. And you know what? You need a secondary mic. It's a phenomenal secondary mic, and you're going to be able to use it. Yeah. I wrote an article two weeks ago about, uh, well, actually, early earlier this week about, uh, and, and the title was, Every Podcaster Should Be Using a DBX-286. They should. And, Why aren't they? Uh, people message me to go, well, I'm using a USB mic. How could I use it? I'm like, well, you can't use it if you're using a USB mic. It's not for you. This is for a different tier. That would be a tier, you, tier you, three. That's a tier you, three. If you have a mixer and you have a microphone, you know what? You should be using a DBX. Um at what point would you say that's I'm going to take that leap? I'm going to start upgrading my stuff. When when should they do it? Well, I mean that's that's probably unique for everybody. It's different for everybody. Um, if you were to say me, like a time frame, I mean, I'm, let's say I'm doing this for six months. I'm doing it for eight months. I'm doing it for a year. I'd say after the first year, by a year's end, it would, I will put it this way: the anniversary date of your launch. By the anniversary date, anniversary remember by definition is a yearly recurring date so not six months not an anniversary so the anniversary date of your launch at that point if you're still up and running and you've got momentum or i'll call it rhythm or cadence that's got you hopping along that's when you start to look at upgrading and evolving to the next level because by then you've probably already gone to what i call the tier two which is a mixer maybe two microphones because now you've got two people in the studio or maybe you don't have anyone in the studio because you're doing it at home and you don't want people in the house but you have a portable kit that you take on location with yeah. a mixer, okay? But then you get to tier three, which is, I'd say, the anniversary date of launch. Now you're expanding into gating, compression of the microphone because you got to really, you know, button up that production set. I always tell people, learn to hear the imperfections. That's tough. Yeah. That's yeah. when you know to fix them. Yeah. 
if you never learn them, then you're not going to, you don't know what you're fixing. Right. I know a lot of people that got, you know, they got a DBX and they got it immediately. They, they built the studio setup and they're cranking the EQs mm-hmm. and they're, you know, taking this and then they're driving it all the way. <laughs> exactly. And they're making the red lights go up on there. And they do it because they think this is what it's supposed to sound like. Right. right. But they don't know why. Right. I mean, listen, my audio is not perfect, and it, it's not going to be perfect because I'm not in a acoustically treated environment. It's not yeah. the perfect environment for this, but I could come close. I could, I could no, your, fix it. The audio here is exactly what it should be for this environment, and that's expected. And we know that, and it can always be improved on if we change the environment. Same is true if you're starting out. I know a lot of folks who have been doing video podcasts, they were doing it from their closet. Because why? The clothing in the yeah. closet acted as a nice acoustic dampener, and that was the first start. I know someone that's right now on vacation in Hawaii, and every night they have to record their podcast. So what do they do? They built a fort yeah, with the blankets, and yeah. they record under the fort, and it sounds unbelievable. Yeah. It's the best podcast has ever sounded. Yeah. And, and it's not crazy. And I've worked with voice talent uh, in their home studios before they built a little booth, and we built these little you know uh, walls with, with uh, blankets in their closet, so that, and we found the sweet spot for the microphone and the whole bit, and it worked. These are things you can learn and develop over time. That's why I would recommend start off simple. You know, whatever computer you choose, if it's a laptop, just make sure it's got some you know uh, oomph to it. And um, don't worry about being HD video. Just go standard definition is just fine because you're going to need bandwidth anyway. So standard def to a Ustream or a Justin TV or Daily Motion, whoever you use, uh, it will be just fine. And then learn, understand. Like as Andrew pointed out. Understand how the microphone works, you know, placement, uh, the artifacts if you talk too close to the microphone. Or if you talk like this, hey, what's going on? We're talk- oh, yeah. Remember to come back. Yeah. Make sure the headphones you're wearing are headphones that you can really hear yourself properly, not headphones that fit on the ear, but you can hear the dog barking in the other room because that distracts you. You got to remember, we are in a visual society, so we always take things for granted because we see it. We just assume. I see a car going by. I assume I'm hearing the car. Well, close your eyes. Did you really hear the car go by? No, because cars today don't make much noise when they go by. New cars. Yeah. And that's what you have to learn. That's the trick. And you know, if you want to get a real good taste of it, watch your favorite newscast or sports show and close your eyes while you're listening to it with headphones, and you'll start to hear things that you do not see on the TV. Absolutely. But they're there. Okay, that's what you have to learn. That's why I would say in the beginning – the audio technical mic is ideal because it's future proof. Do a USB, pop it in down the road when you build up to a larger facility, you know, larger setup. You got the audio out of that goes right to a, you know, into a DBX if you choose, into a mixer or whatever you want to go with. Before we wrap it up, uh, from your expertise, what are people doing wrong? Hmm. Well, I, with, with audio, I mean, let, let's talk about audio. What are people doing wrong? What is what is a common mistake that you hear? Or, or read about or see that, you know, is going on in, in internet broadcasting and in podcasting? I think um, what people are mis- misunderstanding, I mean, I shouldn't say it's wrong, but they're misunderstanding how audio works. And we're so accustomed to the way we hear things. You know, our hearing is binaural. It's, it's two, two ears. The ears are separated in such a way that the brain processes the audio so you can create directionality. There is a science behind the, the distance between your ears and the time difference and the way the audio works. However, when you're talking to a single microphone like I am right now, it does not have that ability. It doesn't know what you're doing. It doesn't know that when I talk off microphone, I've got to 
turn the mic and stay with the audio source. So you have to do it. You have to be that manual operation. You know, your hearing automatically shifts from left to right, right to left, depending on where the source of the sound is. Microphones don't do that. They have to be told. That's why mixers do what they do. So I think what people get wrong or misunderstand is that they, they just assume microphone is on. It hears me no matter where I'm at. So learn how to use the microphone. Read about it. It's real simple stuff. Second, um, video, lighting. What people do wrong is they just assume any camera works. The third thing I would say is don't follow the others. You know, if someone, uh, if you're watching this right now and you, you see shots behind Andrew, you see who talks about the console he has or the software he's using for editing and everything else, do not assume that's what you should be doing. Because if you don't know anything about it, you've just stepped into the pool yeah. on the way deep end, and there's no lifeguard to help you. Listen, I'm still learning this stuff. Well, you uh, always will. Axi- we have the Axios, the, the Axia here, and every last time we were talking about this, and I said this year I want to learn how to use the Omnia processor, yeah, and I want to learn how to do it because it's it's interesting to me. It's fascinating, and again, there's no right way of setting it. I mean, no, no. you can make it sound bad, obviously, but there's a lot of in betweens. Yeah. I think you should take the time and you should learn. And to any level, if you've been doing this for seven years or five years or whatever it is, um, you're still learning. You got to keep learning it. With with what you see, the trend with internet broadcasting, where do you see it in five years? The the audio side. Five years from now, what's going to be the big change? What's going to be the big thing with what we do? I think the ability, the easy delivery. I mean, creating is easy now. It's it's a no brainer. I think the next step you're going to see is the, the ability to uh, receive what you produce. You know, right now I can relatively get it on a, on a phone and other sources and stuff on a tablet, but I think it'll become even easier. It'll become ubiquitous. Is that where the disconnect is currently? Like I feel like, yeah. like when I tell people, like I, I told you yesterday, a friend of my wife's came by the house for a couple seconds. She walked by the office and she did like this double take and she looked she's like, oh, what is this? And I go, well, I do radio. And they go, oh, where can I hear it? And I lied to her. And you know what I said? <laughs> I'm on XM. I'm on satellite radio. And I go, oh, okay. You know why? Because they understand that. Right. They understand some cars have it and you hit the channel and there you are. Most of the time, this is how the conversation goes. What do you, oh, you, you do radio? Where can I hear you? Are you, what, what station are you on? Well, I'm not on a station. I, I, it's internet radio. Right. Well, how do I, how do I listen to you? Well, uh, you could download an app. You could download the Stitcher app. You could download a TuneIn app, and um, it's always on. So you download the app, and now you you know sign in. You got to register, of course, because you got to register for everything. And you put in GFK Network. You got to find the live stream. You click on the live stream. Now you go in your car, and you got to sync your Bluetooth to the car, or you got to connect it with the aux port. That is insanely complicated. That's why it's going to be a for while. the average person. They they. They don't grasp this concept of, holy crap, it's like 50 steps. Until we are able to start the car, hit the preset one, and boom, there it is. It's going to be a big problem. Yeah. Well, that, well, you know what? You just explained what took place uh, you know, over 100 years ago with radio when it first came out. And then when television came out, the difficulties of being able to receive it. Yeah. And eventually it became a mature industry. And as you pointed out, your friend came in and said, where are you on the radio? She didn't ask you. You know, are you on TV? No, because she didn't see anything that was video related. She just assumed it was audio, and audio means radio, and that's what people don't get. It's it's you have to make the experience easy, straightforward, and just go with it. And radio stations are blowing it, so they they're just idiots. And so TV I'm, is not. I'm also a living lie. 
Well, that's your choice. I'm, you I'm chose lying to, to all these people. Yeah, but you're not lying. You're, you're sort of you know uh, you're distorting the truth because you're trying to help them understand what it is you do without going making them appear or feel uh, you know intimidated. I mean, yeah. that's what you're doing. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not a bad thing. The whole group of people that I got to now tell people, like when they're like, oh, how's XM? I'm like, oh, you know. Eh. Yeah, the contract ran out. We decided to go separate <laughs> yeah. ways. You know? Yeah, I'm waiting. Well, I'm giving it some time I'm, I'm, until I tell this poor woman that, I, that I'm no longer working at my job and I'm doing something else. You know, yes. like now I got to continue this crazy lie that I'm living. Well, what you're going to have to do is have the uh, app on the phone already set to go. And set then, to go. Yeah, here, here you goes, go. Here it is. Here it is. Oh. You mean I can get on your phone? My phone? Yes. Ah, there you go. We're out of time, Chris. Uh, but this was this was a lot of fun, and and I want to have you in again because I tried to cover as much as I could today. Yeah, I guess I was a little too long in the tooth. No, you were phenomenal, and I want to do a more detailed show next time where we discuss, you know, uh, live streaming online and yeah. uh, how radio is doing it and how we are doing it. I want to talk about uh, the competition between regular broadcast traditional broadcasters coming online mm. and how that's going for them because uh, a lot of them are not very happy with what's happening when they go online they're going about the wrong way um i want to talk to you about that so maybe maybe in a couple of weeks we'll get you back in here and we'll talk about yeah, more stuff true. chris tobin everybody you can watch his show this week in radio tech he co-hosts uh almost every week yeah almost every week uh yeah. with kirk harnack uh tom ray chris tar last night's show was a lot of fun uh i actually enjoyed listening to it they broadcast here on the GFK Network Thursdays at 8 p.m. East. Uh, I believe there's going to be a little time change for the new year, so we're going to post that. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Also, guys, if you are interested in internet broadcasting, if you're a podcaster, if you're getting into podcasting, go check out the website, ibroadcastnetwork.org. That's the IAIB, the International Association of Internet Broadcasters. We have a great group of guys there on the forum, a lot of industry experts, a lot of video guys, a lot of audio guys. A lot of uh, guys that understand marketing and, and how to get advertisers. There are a ton of people on there that are always looking to help. And guess what? It is free. There's no charge for the forum. There's no charge to be part of the organization. Uh, we are the, the way that I see it, we are the centralized hub for all things internet broadcasting. We'll talk about audio. We'll talk about video. We'll talk about, I mean, there was a phenomenal thread on affiliate marketing. And we were talking about this last we night. We were talking about, about affiliate night, yes. marketing. Uh, I, I just got an email from somebody. Uh, he, he just signed up for the forum, and he told me his story. And this guy is making six figures a year with affiliate marketing on Amazon. And he told me how he does it. And he's not doing anything shady. He's not doing anything that's a little not on the up and up. It, it's fascinating. And these are things that you learn. And I actually learned it from the forum about Amazon. And we do it here on the network. We have an Amazon affiliate link. And you know what? It's bringing in a couple bucks. It's not bad. So... It, it, it's it's great to see so many people willing to help other people because in most industries these are trade secrets. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you know you can't talk about this. Well, I'm not going to give you my source. I'm not going to tell you I'm setting the settings on that Shore SM7 a different way because I don't want you to sound better than me. That doesn't exist in this. We're not competing. Well, it actually, never existed even in the other industries as well. Nobody, no one, no one sets up a mic processor or a microphone or mixer the same way twice. Yeah. No two people. There's no way. So if I gave you settings for that DBX mic processor, I guarantee you you'll never even get close to what I do, would do if I sat there and tweeted. Sure. And that's normal. That's yeah. normal. So don't don't use that as a gauge if you're doing anything. That's just that's yeah. I, I mean, the point is people are looking to help, yeah. and that's that's unbelievable to me. And and I'm blown away by how many great people are on there, and they're always looking to help people. And uh, I really appreciate it because that's what keeps us going, and that's what keeps the community going the way it is. 
Uh, again, if you missed this show, guys, you could, if you're just tuning in, you could go to our website, uh, gfknetwork.com. We'll have it, obviously, in a couple days, we'll have it on the IIB. You can subscribe to us. We're on iTunes. We're on Windows Phone. We're everywhere podcasts are available. Uh, and Chris, I want to thank you again for coming on. You're it was welcome. great. It was my and we'll pleasure. see you all next week, guys. Uh, I believe next week, who do we have in next week? Huh. I believe it's Paul Therott. Ah, I that think. should be fun. I'm not too sure. I believe it is Paul Therott. I got to look at the list, but we have a, a ton of guests for the next six weeks, yeah. and we're going to take we're going to take off for New Year a couple of weeks, and we're going to come back. But yeah. a lot of a lot of people, and then we'll have we'll have you in again. Fine. Yeah, I, mean, I have no problem with that. I mean, I'll tell people like it is. If you're an idiot, I'll tell you're an idiot, and I'll help you you know fix that problem. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> but you know, some people in the chat room were complaining about things that are you know aren't as simple as I make it out to be. It's true, they're not that simple, but if you take it with a proper methodical approach, you'd be surprised how simple it can be. And that's for, I see, yeah, I see a couple of guys uh, belly aching about things. I'll leave it that way. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, we'll see you all next week. And uh, that's it. We're done. All righty.